we're getting a couple things. We're we're sorting out some tech stuff uh, behind the scenes because yeah, over literally the weekend, right before we went on air, we yeah. uh, we had some problems with the audio. So I'm so sorry about that. Uh, it's okay, Sam. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Uh, there there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of work uh, that was being done over the weekend here. Uh, yeah, that's right. Your real talk technical producer Samuel G. Brooks was in here over the weekend making some improvements. But it but it means when we throw some changes into the mix, then things can change. And so we're troubleshooting early on this Monday, December twenty eighth. But the fact of the matter is, there's zero stress this morning, and we're just grateful to have you all with us. How was your Christmas? How was your weekend? I'm curious to hear from those of you. I know that we saw uh, as we were working to get on the air, we, we saw that there were several of you that were in the kind of in the waiting room on YouTube, which is pretty encouraging for us to see. So it's great to hear from from Mark and Nancy and Ken and, and Kaylin. Kaylin's tuning in from Vancouver, which means it's 730 in the morning there, which is awesome. An early riser on this December 28th. James as well. So I want to give a shout out to everybody that's uh, tuning in. We've got a great show in store coming up. It's going to be um, it's going to be a bit of a heavy show. It is. And that's all right. Uh, it's called Real Talk for a reason. But, you know, a story uh, developing over the weekend. As a matter of fact, on Christmas Eve, um, the uh, Catholic, the Archdiocese of Edmonton releasing a statement that that uh, a priest has been removed from public ministry uh, in the region. And, uh, and, and if I were to to say uh, guess why you'd probably be able to guess why which is uh, part of the you know this is why we're gonna have a frank talk about this this morning because um, let's be honest you know real talk is that uh, none of you would guess that he was stealing from the collection plate none of you would guess that uh, he was arrested for drunk driving none of you would guess that um he, uh, you know, went online and uh, started firing back to people that had made complaints to the church and used inappropriate language and lost his temper. None of you would guess it. Right. And uh, and, and I, this the conversations we're going to have today uh, are going to make uh, many people uncomfortable. Uh, quite frankly, to a certain degree, they're already making me uncomfortable uh, because I have friends uh, that are people of faith. I have friends that are practicing Catholics, for example. I have friends that are evangelical Christians, people that I care about and love very much. Um, and, and we're going to be talking today about religion and about faith circles. And in just a moment, um, we're going to lead off with a guest, Irene Deshane, who has a powerful story. It's a horrific story of abuse uh, back in the 1960s, and she's still fighting for justice today. Um, of course, to bring this full circle, you know, you, you probably guessed by now, if you didn't know already, the Catholic Archdiocese of Edmonton removing uh, priest Silvio Lacar after he was identified by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles as the subject of a credible accusation of sexual assault of a minor in the Los Angeles area during the 1980s. So this is uh, a priest that regularly served at St. Teresa's Parish in Mamio Beach and at St. Teresa's Parish in Mill Woods in the South Community of Edmonton as well. And so uh, we're going to be talking about this um, <clears throat> with Irene. I've, I've seen some people online applauding the Catholic Archdiocese of Edmonton saying, hey, listen, you know, they did the right thing. They heard about this and they've removed him from duty. And I think that probably people that uh, are employing more reason and people that are that are uh, employing more common sense are saying, mm, this is probably a situation where we should call the police. 
And so we're going to be talking about today, uh, that today with Irene. That's coming up in, in just a few minutes. We're also going to talk about matters of faith. You remember I asked you last week what, what it was about some, some of these communities, these gatherings that we've seen where it seemed like leading the news headlines. And, and some people pushed back on it and said, Brian, you're ignoring other circumstances and scenarios. You're ignoring other gatherings. Uh, but I, what I could not ignore uh, was was when I googled priest or or or, or pastor no masks. Uh, there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of stories returned of of gatherings of evangelical Christians not wearing masks, not following the rules, and um, and so I just put that out there and asked, "Why do you think this is?" What and I said, "It's a serious question. It's not a shot across the bow. It's a serious question." One of the faith leaders, um, the Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee. Uh, out of Calgary, she's the bishop-elect for the Anglican Diocese in British Columbia. She's going to be moving out to BC. Uh, she'll talk to us about this in about a half an hour. She's been talking at length. She does these two-minute sermons online. Um, really, really smart uh, strategy, accessible preaching. Uh, a lot of people have been paying attention to these videos. A lot of people have been watching these videos, and she's been on our list of guests that we wanted to talk with and and welcome to the show for quite some time. Well, well, she's been chiming in on this as well, uh, encouraging uh, her parishioners to to g- gather in spirit from the safety of their homes. And, and she's been talking about this. So we wanted to connect with a faith leader uh, to have a real conversation around what principles of faith look like in, in, in applying, you know, either adherence to the law or not uh, on things like mask directives and mask bylaws. And then over the weekend, Anna Greenwood Lee chimed in on something that the Alberta government released on Christmas Day. And so we're going to talk to her about that as well. I'm not sure if you saw. Um, Sam, why don't we go ahead and call this up? This is the Merry Christmas greeting from the United Conservative Party here in Alberta. And you're going to say, what's wrong with this? This is like a nice Christmas greeting. Um, you know, they, they quote Isaiah in the Old Testament. They quote Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's a very important passage of Scripture for Bible-believing Christians. Uh, of course, there's a lot of layers to what might prompt the United Conservative Government to, to include this verse uh, on their Christmas Day message. Um, it, uh, it, it's uh, one that raised the ire of many people within the faith community. Of course, there are people outside the faith community that, that faith communities that have... Uh, no time nor patience for that type of of uh, I'm going to call it trolling. Uh, and the government and, and spokespersons for the government will say, will say, you know, what are you talking about? What do you what do you possibly mean? They'll they'll sort of gaslight you to think what why on what are you? Impl- oh, my goodness. We're just quoting scripture on a holy holiday that many Albertans they'll try to make you feel crazy. Right. Um, but what catches my attention is not people um, from, from agnostic or, you know, atheist backgrounds that would say, eh, you know, the government, you know, separation to church and state and this. And that's fine. And the government, quite frankly, doesn't care about those messages either. Uh, the government doesn't care about uh, messages from people that are upset about everything the government does. People th- that will oppose the government at every stand, at every turn, at every possible intersection. Government doesn't care about those. What will catch the government's attention, though, is faith leaders like the Reverend Greenwood Lee, uh, who's going to join us just after the nine o'clock headline saying, you know, uh, she describes it as wholly inappropriate. You know, the inference of divine sanction uh, for the government. And of course, that's not a mistake. That's very intentional from the United Conservatives. So we'll talk to Anna Greenwood Lee about that. 
And I'm also going to introduce you to a friend of mine, and this is going to be coming up after 930, uh, by the name of Justin Cooper. Justin was actually uh, slated to be on this program. We were talking to Justin about uh, joining us on this program. And and unfortunately and tragically on Christmas Day, uh, Justin took his last breaths and surrounded by family. Uh, He's a warrior. He's a courageous young man. I got to know him um, through a previous job that I had in radio where uh, the opportunity to work alongside him uh, as a teammate was an absolute delight and a total pleasure, a remarkable young person and a real talented young man. And um, he and I, Justin and I had been corresponding. I'm going to get into this more in about an hour from now, but Justin and I had been corresponding about what he wanted to talk to you about on Real Talk when he made his debut. And uh, seeing as he will not make his Real Talk debut, which is difficult to process, um, I'm going to read you some of the messages that he wrote me that indicated what he wanted to get into. And I think that that's, um, I think that's going to be important. He's talking about people with disabilities living in this COVID age, living in this COVID era. Uh, so this is a very meaningful broadcast on this Monday. I know it's a bit of a sleepy Monday for a lot of people. This is the week where you, you know, you're not going to be heading into the office or, or, I mean, who is heading into the office anymore? But, but perhaps you're finding that kind of, that, that time between Christmas and New Year's is a, an opportunity for some downtime with the family. Um, we want to make sure that there are still meaningful conversations being had. So whether you're watching or listening to this live right now on this Monday morning, whether you're uh, checking out the podcast later, we're grateful that you're here. You know, we wouldn't be here without the amazing support of the team at Bitcoin. Well, we're very excited to have them as our presenting sponsor. And it's going to be a big 2021 for Bitcoin. Well, the entire company, so they're moving, they're they're expanding, they're moving into a new location. The, the, the staff has been growing uh, remarkably, and they're also getting set to go public. So it's going to be a big year for Bitcoin Well, and we're very excited for them. Proudly headquartered in Edmonton, but represented across Canada. They're by far the easiest, the safest way to buy and sell Bitcoin. You can look them up today by following the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, so here we go. This is a story that broke over the weekend. An Edmonton police office, uh, uh, rather the Edmonton police, uh, this is is a situation where you might expect to see a release from law enforcement. Uh, But that's not what we saw. As a matter of fact, on Christmas Eve uh, from the Catholic Archdiocese of Edmonton in a statement, uh, we saw that uh, the Reverend Silvio Lacar. I, I, I'm going to call him Silvio Lacar from now on, if that's all right with everybody. Um, I, I'm not going to say the Reverend here, uh, and then go on to introduce you to the Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee in 20 minutes, because um, I'm going to call this guy Silvio Lacar, because uh, that's the name that I think should be probably scribbled onto the notepad of investigating officers. Um, uh, Mr. Lacar, uh, identified by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles as the subject of a credible accusation of sexual assault of a minor in Los Angeles during the 1980s. Uh, here in Edmonton, uh, or at least in the Edmonton area, he had served in the Mamio Beach and Millwoods uh, parishes, St. Teresa's Parish, a retired priest from the Diocese of Peterborough. Um, we're looking forward to this conversation with Irene Deshane. Sam, is she ready to go? Irene has a, a story. We don't that, have uh, her on okay, the line. Yes, okay, no. well, we're going to wait for Irene to chime in here. Irene has a story 
um, a remarkable one that uh, that you wouldn't wish upon anybody. And, and if you look her up, you'll you'll find, uh, you know, articles in The National Post, The Globe and Mail. Uh, this has been kind of a, a lifelong uh, journey for her in the most tragic sense. When, when she was just a young girl, like 10 years old, um, abuse began. Uh, Irene uh, began to suffer abuse at the hands of a priest, a, a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Charles Silvestre. Uh, and when Irene was was uh, 10 all the way through to when she was 12 years old at St. Ursula's School in Chatham, Ontario, she was subjected to this abuse. Um, she filed a lawsuit um, about 20 years later, and, and, and she'll tell us this story when she joins us. So when she was about 20 years old, uh, Irene reported her experience of child sexual abuse by her parish priest, Charles Sylvester, to the Diocese of London. So she files this lawsuit and uh, the diocese advised her at that time. So these 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 mile markers, these years are important. In 1996, uh, they filed this lawsuit um, uh, or she files the lawsuit that they failed to protect her. They advised her that, that they had no knowledge or no information that uh, that Charles Sylvester had molested or committed child sexual abuse prior to the time prior to the time that Irene uh, experienced this abuse. Now, here's the thing. So she accepts an out-of-court financial settlement with the Diocese of London. But here's the deal. Uh, it, it, it comes out, uh, as, as a result of this settlement, Irene was legally obliged to remain silent, like a non-disclosure. You've heard of these NDAs, right? So she, uh, when she learns that this guy basically... Uh, this was a pattern of behavior that had an extent that had that had started long before she was subjected to the abuse. Keep in mind, it was in the early 1970s that her life changed forever. She was targeted and molested by this criminal. Um, now, it turns out she learns after the fact that this was happening long before, like into the 1960s. And so Irene has has basically been fighting in the courts. Uh, she, first of all, wanted to have her non-disclosure lifted, which happened. Uh, she wanted to be able to speak again. And now she wants to have the, the entire thing reopened. Okay. And then, so this, this is uh, what you'll read about in the courts uh, most recently, or most notably, you're going to read about the fact that, that she is now fighting to have proper uh, justice applied. In other words, if the, the diocese and if, uh, you know, spiritual leadership here, if this church leadership was aware of these crimes, they're crimes, uh, it's abuse, it's a criminal act. Why did they not remove this leader from the congregation? Why did they not remove this leader uh, from young people? And th this is the, the conversation that, that Irene is, is leading in Ontario, in Chatham, Ontario, but it's also a conversation that's being uh, had around the world. And an example would be right here in Edmonton, the story that we saw uh, over Christmas Eve, the announcement uh, that this priest, uh, Silvio Lacar, has been removed from the congregation in Edmonton. Now, we reached out to a former Edmonton Catholic School Board trustee, Patricia Grell, who we expected might be vocal on this. And while she pointed us uh, toward Irene, she said, now, here's a firsthand account that you need to hear. She said, here's who you need to talk to. 
Uh, Patricia Grell, former trustee, did provide us with this statement, uh, which we're grateful for. And this is something that I think is is worth focusing on. Uh, she said, and, and this is Archbishop Smith here in Edmonton. Uh, Patricia Grell, former Edmonton Catholic trustee, says Archbishop Smith would have known this priest's history uh, when he chose him for service within the Archdiocese of Edmonton. Uh, says the problem with the bishops, sure, there are bad apples in every organization that prey on children, but the Catholic Church is so desperate for personnel uh, that they keep these pedophiles in circulation. The bishops are perpetuating the abuse crisis. That from Patricia Grell, a former Edmonton Catholic school trustee. Uh, so, so this gives you a sense of, of I think, uh, where the expectations are. Uh, this gives you a sense of exactly what uh, I think the the average person would expect uh, would mark a meaningful response uh, to this type of uh, situation, this type of scenario. Um, Sam Brooks, the technical producer of this show. Sam, what, what I'm going to ask you to do right now, uh, I, I'm going to get in touch here with Irene. You see, we do all this live right now, right? So Irene's texting me. She's trying to get in touch with us. And the only person that can send her the information is me. And so what I'm hoping that you could do right now, the other one of the other stories that was making news over the weekend is I think the gatherings here, uh, we took a look at the Boxing Day sales. We take a look around. I know that this is a hard transition, but I sent you some video from Cross Iron Mills right now. Can you let let me know what you think about this? This is the other thing people are going to be talking about today. Keep in mind, this is in the midst of not technically a lockdown here, not technically a lockdown. But when you saw this video, when you saw that, and I know that you were going to planning on acquiring a couple things on Boxing Day yourself. So so how did you how did you balance? I know that a lot of people uh, are, are sitting here going, okay, well, Boxing Day is an opportunity for us to be able to. To, to finally get the deals that we need. Uh, Boxing Day is an opportunity for, uh, you know, for us to finally get the 25% off what the, the, the one item that we've been waiting for. Um, but at the same time, people are trying to, people are trying to find a way um, that they can stay away from other folks and stop the spread, sort of, sort of tamp down that spread. Were you able to find a balance there? Well, yeah, I did Boxing Day uh, the same way that I did all the Christmas shopping. And, and probably, I, I want to say, like, all my shopping in the last year, I, I bought two things. One was uh, these these headphones, which I ordered online and got at a curbside pickup. And I bought a new mixer for my kitchen, which was exactly the same deal. So my Boxing Day shopping was, like, a few clicks at home and... 20 minutes of driving around and and there's no way I was setting foot in a mall that's for sure yeah so I so here's the thing and, and I'm curious to know where where our audience is going to wind up on this where our audience is going to land on this because um like technically nobody uh if you look at those videos technically nobody was breaking the law right no I mean I know that you're supposed to have everyone says that the malls are supposed to be at 15 percent capacity uh, one five percent, fifteen, not fifty. I know it looks like fifty, fifteen percent, but I'm curious to know where people are. People are going on this. Ben on our Ben's watching live on the YouTube feed right now says I didn't even think about Boxing Day uh, this year. Uh, James, by the way, says the painter's tape has gone from your desk today. Which one? It's not painter's tape. It's not. It's Just, gaff tape. Yeah, it's gaff tape, which is a very fine. 
uh, so people know the pedigree, gaff tape is a very, very uh, fancy and fine tape that's used by 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 AV professionals, audiovisual professionals in the, the, the industry. green. The green stuff is for labeling and marking safety hazards in the studio yeah, and that kind go. of stuff. Yeah. So because that's why I was sitting there. on my desk for Sa- a while. Because safety first. In I actually there, decorated right. it on the Christmas show. I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, yeah, James says James says it just proves that people aren't taking this thing seriously. That, that's uh, that, that's just what this proves. That's the one thing that it proves, says James. So um, I, I don't know. You can let me know what you think about that. You can let me know what your Boxing Day looked like. We just. We just basically went ahead and said, forget about Boxing Day this year. Uh, it, it just seems like a weird, seems like a weird year to be packing the malls to get twenty percent off uh, Nike tube socks. It just seems like a weird time to do it. I saw some people online tube um, socks. Are your I best go to Boxing Day purchase. I saw some people online saying uh, that um, you know th- this is sort of like you're you're like shaming the poor. Uh, like, like there are people that need to get the deals. There are people that rely on times when, when there are sales and, uh, and, and this is, uh, the type of thing where you, you shouldn't be shaming these people. Um, the real talk is I, I, that, that weirds me out. That's a, this is a weird thing to bring up. And I think that you can get sales online and uh, you can let me know what you think about this kind of the mandate of this show. We want to make sure that we're willing to have the uncomfortable conversations and and answer uncomfortable questions. That was one that I saw online where I saw people were kind of sort of trying to shut other people up saying, you don't shame me. I'm a a low income earner and I need these sales. And how dare you shame me for going to the mall at this time? And I kind of went, yeah, no, nah, no, no, no. That's not going to work this time around. But you can let me know if I'm being a jerk on this or not. All right. I think we have Irene Deshane ready to go. Um, as mentioned, uh, Irene's uh, story is, is one that, uh, that uh, it, it's, a, it's a tragic story, but she's a, she's a survivor. And she's here to talk to us about uh, her experience um, out of uh, Chatham, Ontario at St. Ursula School. Irene, thank you so much for making time for us this morning and welcome to Real Talk. Oh, you're welcome. I'm trying to center myself here. Well, Sorry. Well, it's no, it's it's all good. And and when we take you full screen, you'll be centered in the screen. Um, Irene, the, the reason that we're talking about this, um, rather obvious, uh, uh, the Edmonton, the Catholic Archdiocese of Edmonton said in a statement on Christmas Eve that Silvio Lacar has been removed uh, after he was identified uh, by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles as the subject of a credible accusation of sexual assault of a minor. Uh, during the 1980s, does a story like this, uh, based on your personal experience, does a story like this immediately uh, cause your stomach to clench? What sort of a reaction do you have when you hear a story like this? Well, it kind of makes me chuckle. And the reason for that is because when I went to the chair of the Sexual Assault Committee in 1992, they told me they would do the same thing for Sylvester. And then I found out that he was still saying mass not at one parish, but filling in for other priests at different parishes. So nothing's changed in that regard. That's what they're saying, but is that actually what they're doing? Uh, we we uh, received a statement from uh, a former Edmonton Catholic school trustee, Patricia Grell, who said that, hey, hey, listen, you know, with this guy here in Edmonton, they would have known, she says, church leadership, Archbishop, Archbishop Smith here in Edmonton would have known uh, this priest's history when he chose him for service. Uh, within the Archdiocese of Edmonton, uh, she basically says the church is so desperate for personnel, they keep pedophiles in circulation. The bishops are perpetuating the abuse crisis. I mean, this is an explosive statement. Do you agree with what former trustee Grell says there? Oh, absolutely, yes. And the other thing is the reason that we know that he knew is because they transferred him. They didn't just transfer him to another parish or another um 
province, they transferred him across borders. And there's a reason that they do that. Um, people call it the silent shuffle. And so when allegations come to the surface, what they do is they transfer priests uh, without the other parishes being aware of their proclivities. Okay, so so I mean, basically what we're saying here is 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 pretty serious stuff, right? What, what we're saying here, and it's and and again, um, Irene, like I like I said in my opener, the, the show's called Real Talk. I want to have real conversations. It's going to be uncomfortable for people. Some people will be enraged by these types of conversations. But the fact of the matter is. The allegation is, or in some, in many cases, proof suggests that known sex offenders are being aided and abetted, and 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 essentially kept from the wheels of justice and kept in the system to perpetuate their abuse by the Catholic Church. I mean that that that's a hell of a thing to to say, uh, but it's pretty hard to deny taking a look at the evidence. And it's not just my own particular case. So when my memories were recovered in 1992, and I went, again, I went to see the chair of the sexual abuse committee, and he gave me this document that they had prepared called From Pain to Hope. And it outlined all the steps that they would take to support survivors. And again, it's just words written on paper because they don't follow through with that. So when I was at the Ontario Court of Appeal in the spring of, of 2019, and the judges came down with their decision. They unanimously said that the church misrepresented themselves to survivors, which is very true. They used the word misrepresentation. I don't know if it's a legal term or not, but basically they lied to all survivors. It starts with, you're we're the only one. We'll remove you from ministry. We'll take care of you. We'll support you. You're God's children. We'll do whatever we can. And none of that is true. And that's not just my experience because since coming forward in 1992, I've met with many, many other survivors, and they tell me the same story. They they have the same experience that I've had. Irene, how this is? Uh, by the way, uh, I want to let you know that our audience that's tuned in, that's watching right now, James says, you know, this is a systematic issue in the Catholic Church. They need to get to the bottom of this. Uh, Riley says life is full of hard conversations that need to be have let ha, need to be had. Let's dive into this one. That from Riley. You you talk about this community of survivors, and and I think it's you know it's important for us to point out as well that that I know that you are a member of what's called SNAP, which is the Survivors Network of those abused by priests, and people can check out snapnetwork.org. What has been the impact of that group on your own personal wellness? So again, when my memories were recovered in 1992, I don't know if you remember him, but I saw a show on Phil Donahue. <laughs> And <laughs> we're dating ourselves, yeah, I know. So Barbara Blaine, the founder of SNAP, was, was actually a guest on that show. And when the church told me I was the only one, I did believe them. So when I heard her all the way from Chicago talking about her own experience, I reached out to her. So knowing I wasn't alone, just one other survivor was so helpful. But of course, with the explosion of the internet, now I, I know hundreds of thousands of victims. So even though the church might say, oh, it's only 4% or whatever number they come up with, that, that means that there's all those priests, thousands of them, they have thousands of victims potentially. So we need a network of survivors to support ourselves, to, to let each other know that we're not alone, that what we're going through is normal, you know, the impact of the abuse, and, uh, and knowing that systematically the church lies to all victims. Irene, you, you, you've said it a couple of times when your memories were recovered in 1992. Can, can you get into that? Can you explain to us what you mean by that? 
So I got married in 1983. We had a boy and a girl, nice white picket fence, the whole scenario. And when my daughter turned about the age that I was, when the abuse started, that's when my memories were recovered. Both my kids were in school all day, every day. And I decided to go back to university. So I was at home getting ready to do some readings. And all of a sudden my, all the memories just came right back in a flash. And I thought I was going crazy. I didn't know what was going on. So the first thing that I did was I called a Catholic priest. I didn't know this at the time, but when, Priests work on Sunday, they get Monday off. So I had a hell of a time contacting a priest on a Monday. But I did find one. And the only thing he said to me was, well, you should just call the chair of the sexual abuse committee. And I still, even though there was a sexual abuse committee, I still thought I was the only one. And I was very Catholic, very devout. Our whole family is. And I was so devout that I just thought there is no way a Catholic priest would do that to a little girl. So I must be going crazy. There's something wrong with me. What's going on here? It was a very confusing time. And so Father Trombley invited me to meet with him, and I did. But he invited to meet with him at the rectory of the church, and he wore his clerical garb. And I walked into that room, and I was a 10-year-old little girl all over again. I remember it was a cold day, and I had my winter coat off, and I sat there, and I wouldn't take my coat off, and I made myself really small. That's not the environment in which to tell somebody your this experience that you had for them to comfort you and make you feel better. So right from the get-go, it was not a very good experience in coming forward. But um, some, some survivors remember their experience throughout their whole life. And for others, it might be they're giving birth or when they have a, t- a child same age that they were when they were abused. This is... Uh... You know, you, you, you're in a position where as a young girl, you experience something that no human would, would really have the ability to process. It's a, 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 I should say, a series of experiences. The abuse with you lasted, from my understanding, from your age uh, 10 to age 12, so three years of your life. Um, and, and then years later, you're in a position where, where these memories come back to you. You want to do the right thing. There's some impetus to act on this. But as you're telling us, you said that the church told you that you were the only one that this happened to. Um, you reached a settlement. You find out later, and I, and I know I'm skipping steps here, but you find out later um, that there were accusations, there were allegations of abuse, uh, you know, a decade before yours occurred, which has prompted some of the the legal battles that you're fighting to this day. Um with regards to a more meaningful settlement, and I know what you want to see, which is justice served. What does that do to the trust uh, that one may have in that religious leadership, in the faith community? What does that do to your relationship with the Catholic Church? I have no relationship with the Catholic Church, and I don't want a relationship with the Catholic Church. Why would I want to have a relationship with an institution that's so conniving and, and so diabolical, really? You know, the way they treat survivors and the hypocrisy, I wouldn't want a relationship like that with anyone in my life. So So I have no relationship with the Catholic Church. I don't practice at all anymore. And the majority of survivors don't. There are a number that do. Um, They do continue to practice their faith and they find comfort in that. But the majority of us don't. Do you consider this? This is a personal question. And and if you f- prefer not to answer, that's completely fine. Do you consider yourself still a person of faith 
has this has this done something to your faith? I mean, I, I'll, I'll recognize that that religion and spirituality uh, for many people, including myself, can be different things. How about yourself? No, no. How can I believe the teachings of the Catholic Church throughout my whole childhood that I did believe at one point? But how can I believe anything that they said said to me if me, as a victim of child sexual abuse by a priest, comes forward to them and they lie to me? How can I have faith in anything that they've told me? So ultimately, why do you think that this this is this is the big question? I mean, this is the question that I'm going to ask our audience to to you know send in their thoughts on, and this is the question I think that society needs to be having. Generally speaking, why does this continue to occur? Why is this uh, allowed? Why do in in a society where we see on uh, mass people uh, no pun intended uh, people rising up? and saying no to things that they refuse to accept anymore. Um, you know, whether off the top of my head, racial inequality, police brutality, um, you know, sort of a wanton uh, flagrant attitude towards towards uh, climate change, whatever you want to say. Thousands of people will rise up and demonstrate and protest. Um, why is this still happening, do you think? They, they really haven't changed their views or positions on any social issues since the beginning of time. I don't know why. I think maybe if they change one position, maybe they think they lose their credibility. Does that even make sense? Not really. I'm just wondering. You know, and I think about um, when, so when I came forward to them, how can they understand the impact of child sexual abuse by a priest on a young girl if this cult, I'll name them what they are, and I'm cynical and I've earned my cynicism, thank you. Yeah. But so they, they lack human sexuality, they lack humanity, they lack humility, they're cloistered in their own little world, they protect their brothers at no cost. So how can they even begin to understand social issues if they're so cloistered? Ultimately, what what would mark meaningful action, uh, a meaningful step forward here? Now, we can be talking about Chatham, Ontario. We can be talking about Edmonton, uh, Canada. We can be talking, tragically, uh, about hundreds of parishes and communities and dioceses around the world, if not more. Uh, What would you like to see in your lifetime? What would you like to see in 2021? So throughout the years, I've attempted to have meaningful conversations with the bishop and presented a list of things that could change, how to make children feel safer, to prevent the abuse, how to support victims coming forward. And these are like really small changes that wouldn't cost them a ton of money. The lawsuits cost them a ton of money and their lawyers make a ton of money, but the incremental incremental changes that need to take place wouldn't cost them a ton of money. They need to listen to survivors. But if I go to Bishop Fabro here, the Diocese of London, and I present to him my my solutions, my suggestions, my recommendations. He doesn't have the power to change the systematic systems that are in place that allow the abuse to continue. So change needs to come from the top and it's the Pope. The Pope needs to say, stop it. This is what we're gonna do to stop it. They're already losing parishioners. They're already losing priesthoods. I think two priests got ordained this year. And they used to have, in my day, they used to have 30. And so the abusers are sending them across international boundaries. 
So they need to recognize that this is not working. This system is not working anymore. We need to make changes and the changes need to start at the top. The Pope is the one that can make changes and the Pope is the one that should make changes. And he needs to listen to survivors and he needs to do the just and moral thing. Irene, uh, I'm so grateful that you've agreed to speak with us today. Uh, you know, I there are um, a gal by the name of Krista is tweeting at me. Uh, as you and I are speaking and, and, and says, you know, I'm 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 glad that Ryan is covering this topic today. Um, but I just she says, I just can't. She says, I, I just can't. Um, I'm going to have to skip this episode, says Krista. I don't think I'm quite ready to relive my childhood on this Monday morning. And that type of message just it actually kind of invokes some emotion in me. Um, and I don't know who Krista is, but but. It, if she hears this, I hope that she feels love and I hope that she has the supports that she needs. Uh, the statistics say, Irene, as tragic as it is, that we know that survivors of sexual abuse and sexual assault will be hearing you speak with me today. Um, for some of them, this will have been something that they've not addressed, at least in outward fashion, um, at all. And it's it's probably going to uh, act as a trigger and be difficult for some people What's your message to those survivors that are watching or that are listening to this right now? So I'd like them to know that they are not alone. They're not the only one. Surround yourself with personal and professional support. Do not go to the institution that harmed you because you will be re-victimized and it'll hurt even more. Go to the police if you choose to make a report have conversations with people that you trust before you take that crucial step. Irene DeShane is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse by a priest. She's a member of SNAP, uh, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by a Priest. You can check out snapnetwork.org. She's an advocate and an activist. And as you've seen this morning, brings a message of hope and healing to all survivors of abuse. Irene, uh, as we say, much love and mad respect. And thank you so much for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Can I just say one more thing? You can say whatever you like. Fuck the patriarchy. a <laughs> <laughs> girl. I, <laughs> I hope we chat again. Yeah, I would love to chat again. Absolutely. You've just, uh, you've seared yourself into the memory of many of our viewers and listeners. And I love that. Fuck the patriarchy. Indeed. There you go. That's Irene DeShane. Uh, isn't it? It's, it's, it's such a wonderful feeling to be able to host a show where people can say what they actually think. And people aren't going to have to always, I mean, it doesn't mean that we're not going to respect people and it doesn't mean that we're not accountable for what we say uh you hold us accountable for one um but uh but to be able to be in an interview where where someone is recounting a horrific horrific experience the ultimate betrayal of trust i don't know what's a bigger betrayal of trust than 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 a priest in a community and a spiritual leader sexually abusing you over and then and then the institution protecting that priest uh, in a way that has protected it's protected him before and it's protected thousands of others thousands of sex offenders have found a safe home within the Catholic Church for decades and not only have they found a safe home they've found prime hunting ground. And not only has the church tolerated it, the church has enabled it. And it's about damn time that people started pushing back and refusing. There's all this, there's, there's, there's everything that comes with this. Trust me, I get it. 
I get it. I get what it's like to even, you know, the, a conversation like this. People are going to go. People are thinking, oh, boy, you're going to hear about this one. You're right. We are. And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that people have been intimidated into believing that they can't come forward. They, 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 it's the, the holy structure, right? Like, oh, boy, you're going to step into that one. Oh, boy, you're biting off more than you. Oh, boy, right? Uh-uh. Enough. We've, we've, we've somehow, as a society, allowed this to continue to happen. And if you want to know what I think, I think that, that there needs to be police investigations. I think charges need to be laid. I think wherever a statute of limitations does not apply, I think investigations need to be pursued. I'd like to see, uh, when I say priests, what I'm talking about is child molesters and rapists and pedophiles. I would like to see them jailed. And I, quite frankly, would like to see the institution financially brought to its knees. I would like to see it pay the price. I would like to see it sell its art and its real estate and its holdings. I would like to see its wealth dispersed to the people that have developed drinking and drug problems to deal with the the spin out, the fallout from their abuse. I'd like to see mental health supports and counseling provided to the thousands of people that were victimized by the hundreds or thousands of priests that were given passes by the community and spiritual leaders that were entrusted with something they clearly could not handle. You can let me know what you think about this. The hashtag is RealTalkRJ. Of course, you can also comment on our YouTube uh, live broadcast. Terry listening in. Terry says, you know, part of the conversation has to be how do we heal from our abuse? Terry says there is increasing support for women of childhood sexual abuse, but very little support for men. That from Terry. Sonny says this is a cover-up. That's what this is. That's the only word that fits here. Greg says maybe the churches should lose tax-free status. Uh, You can let me know what you think about this. Uh, We're going to be talking to the Reverend Anna Greenwood-Lee in just a moment here. Uh, Wanted to thank the team at Local Waste for their continued support of this program as we head into 2021. We know it's going to be a big year for Real Talk. We know it's also going to be a big year for local waste. They're looking to expand and they're looking for partners. So if this is something you think might be a fit for you, you're in a a mid-sized Alberta community, you're looking around and you're going, you know, whether it's commercial or otherwise, it looks to me like there's there's some room here for a new player in the business. Well, Chris and the team at Local Waste are looking to partner up with you. You can give them a call today at 780-242-9746 for 25 years. They've been locally owned and operating, taking on the big, faceless international garbage and waste management guys, and they're proud to be there. Same deal with Friesen Brothers. 2021, also a huge year for our partners in the grocery hustle as Friesen Brothers prepares to open its 15th Alberta store. It's going to be right here in Edmonton, where we broadcast from. Uh, on the south side of the city, just off the Anthony Henday at Rabbit Hill Road, a phenomenal store, a beautiful store. I had a chance to to put a hard hat on, mask up, and tour the store a couple of weeks ago, and I can tell you it's going to blow your mind the first time you're there. 14 other locations across the province of Alberta. Friesen Brothers is Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Well, I'm very much looking forward uh, to this next conversation. Anna Greenwood-Lee uh, has, I think, been capturing a lot of people's attention on Twitter with her two-minute sermons. They're accessible. Uh, they're not onerous. 
And I know that they've been bringing encouragement to a lot of people, most especially those members of the faith community that have not been able to congregate, have not been able to gather in person through the course of this pandemic. Uh, The Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee is bishop-elect of the Anglican Diocese of British Columbia. But my understanding is, Reverend, that we're speaking uh, with you this morning from Calgary. Uh, 2021 will, will be a move for you, too. Is that correct? You're getting set to move yourself to B.C.? I'm wondering if maybe, Reverend, can you hear me? We're uh, maybe looking to, can you hear me, Anna? Is there a chance that you can uh, hear me right now or no? Sam, maybe let's get Anna off camera. Well, maybe you can figure that out. This is this is like the Monday of all Mondays here on Real Talk. This is, we're having we're having more glitches behind the scenes, but this is why we, we do this live. So you know that when we're rocking and rolling live, we're going to experience some things uh, and you're going to be right there on the ride with us. So no worries about that. The good news is we've got a great talent behind the scenes who's figuring it out. I think I can hear Anna now. Or I'm hearing some noise. Anna, can you hear me? No, it doesn't seem like it. Seems All right. like she can't hear us. I, okay. I am working You'll hard on You'll get that this. figured out. Thanks very much, Sam. Uh, James, uh, on the on the Real Talk chat line here, which is live on our YouTube channel as we're speaking, says, you know, there are, there are hard conversations to be had, says James, but they're hard and respectful conversations. And that's what the show is wants to be all about. And James, you've nailed it. This is the type of situation where we, we, we're seeing stories in the news. For example, this one out of Edmonton, a priest pulled out of circulation after allegations have arisen, what, what they're calling credible allegations out of Los Angeles. This is not the type of story we're going to avoid. And if we're going to touch on a story, if we're going to tackle a story, if we're going to sink our teeth into something, we're going to do it with in meaningful fashion. Because that's what you expect, and quite frankly, because we don't know any other way. And we appreciate the willingness of our real talkers to have these types of conversations as well. Let's try this one more time. We're very excited to welcome to the program the Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee. Reverend, thank you so much for making time for us. I'm I'm assuming from your facial expression that you can hear me. I can now hear you. Oh, wonderful. You. <laughs> well, welcome to Real Talk. I, I've been looking forward to speaking with you for a long time. I was just telling our, our viewing and listening audience how much I've appreciated um, your two-minute sermons, uh, which, which you've been pushing out on social media, I suppose in part probably uh, because your congregation has not been gathering en masse as would typically be the case. How, how, how have you been managing the COVID-19 pandemic over the past eight or nine months, most especially uh, recently as these numbers started to surge again? Uh, I think most clergy are exhausted. So if you have clergy or uh, in your life, uh, uh, you know, say thank you to them because I think we are exhausted. This all started in March, uh, shortly before Holy Week. Uh, so kind of the busiest time of year for us. Uh, and yeah, I decided I would put out two minute sermons after someone suggested it to me. Uh, and I thought I would do them every day. Uh, for COVID, and I, I couldn't keep that up because uh, I think we all didn't realize quite how long COVID was going to go on. So I did them every day for a while, uh, and now I've cut back to just doing them kind of as the spirit moves me. Um, and we found creative ways to keep in touch uh, with the congregation and to try and support one another through this. But we haven't been together at St. Lawrence for in-person worship since uh, the, bit of the middle of March. So we are missing uh, being together in person, but we're finding ways. Now, you you are finding ways, and I would suggest that your your two-minute sermons and everything you've been doing online is probably, you know, of great value to, to your congregation, but I can also guarantee you that it's uh, your, your words and your messages have been reaching a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise hear you speak. 
which I would imagine has got to be one of the silver linings here. Is that something that's been on your mind as you've been pushing these these messages of encouragement and, and in some cases uh, messages that have been challenging people? Has that been something that's been on your radar? Yeah, so I've been a priest for 20 years. Um, and I've been thinking a lot lately about how our, our delivery mechanism as a church institution is it's sort of broken. <laughs> so like our core, Jesus never told anyone to go to church on Sunday. Jesus told people to love their neighbors and to forgive and to serve the poor. And we've kind of become this institution which seems focused on getting people like bums and pews on Sunday mornings. Uh, it seems to be our success measure. And uh, that's not ultimately helpful and not ultimately what we're called to, um, but it's become like our success, you know, our bar. Um, and so I think COVID is an interesting opportunity to kind of rethink our delivery mechanism and to say like, what is it that we're really about? Um, and also to, yeah, like you said, to make ourselves more accessible. I'm shocked, not shocked, but I'm starting to realize how many people have never been in a church. Uh, you know, too many people have stories like Irene's, too many people have written the church off. Um, too many people decided we don't have anything to offer and they're not willing to walk through the doors of a church, often for very, very good reasons. Um, and so we need to be more uh, transparent and more available to people so that they know kind of what we're about um, in a less threatening way than on a Sunday morning, walking through the big solid wood doors of a church building and not quite knowing what you're going to find on the other side. Yeah. How, how, do, you, how do you think... How does how does the average this this is an interesting question for you I would imagine because it's well I've never asked anybody this question before but as a, as a faith leader how how do you think that that a non-believer or somebody that's never been exposed to church perceives the church and and how do you how do you address that as as a as a as outreach I suppose so a few years ago, I have two kids and uh, you know I, I do the, the the picking up kids from school thing so a few years ago I was picking my kids up and two other kids from school. And then I realized like moms do that I'd forgotten something at work. And I'm fortunate that I live very close to church. So I said to the kids, like, we're not going home. We have to go back to church. I have to get some papers. Um, so we pull up to the church and Evan, who's not my kid is sitting in the back seat. And he's like, well, I've never been in a church. Like, can I come in? And my kids are like, sure, come on in. We're here all the time, right? And so then I went into my office, which is kind of like behind the sanctuary. And I was rummaging through kind of my papers. And I could hear my kids giving Evan like church 101 orientation where like Evan would point to something like the altar and uh, my kids would be like, oh, my mom just stands there and says, la, 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 la. And, um, you know, those fonts, they're like, oh, my mom just pours water over babies there. And like, I just sort of realized like it's this whole other kind of space and language that like he has no sense of, right? Um, and I thought how much better that like my kids are giving him the explanation than like me giving some great theological treatise on it. You know, um, I just let them be, you know, mm -hmm. and I hope that one day if Evan does go into a church, he's like, oh, yeah, like this isn't, you know, so frightening. But no, it's a big it's a big question. We have us on our website, um, like we've sort of realized that the church's front door is now the, the Internet. It's not the physical front door of the church. Uh, it's the Internet. That's how people first encounter us. And there's a section on our website that says what to expect if you come on a Sunday. And no one has walked through the door of St. Lawrence for the first time without having like read and reread that section. It's fascinating to me. Um, and it's kind of our first offer of hospitality. Like what, what to expect if you do come? Uh, Cause so many people don't know. Um, mm. 
Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll note that we were talking to Irene Deshane uh, prior to this about her experience growing up in the Catholic Church. You yourself are are the uh, the bishop elect uh, of the Anglican Diocese of British Columbia, which which would imply to me that you're getting set to move. Is that correct? You're getting set to move to BC. Yes, I have a moving track coming tomorrow. So. Tomorrow. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Look at this. You, your your bookshelf behind you must be the last thing that you're packing up because it looks as though you, unless you're in your office right now, but uh, it, it looks as though you're. You're well set up. So, Anna, there's there's, you know, the the Anglican Church, the, the United Church. There's uh, all so many different denominations. Um, th- there's the evangelical Christian church. I grew up in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, many friends grew up in Pentecostal churches. The I, faith and the expression of faith, the celebration of faith, worship means so many different things uh, to so many different people. And over the, over the course of the last week or so, we've been having some conversations on this show about some church communities and some faith communities continuing to gather despite COVID uh, regulations. And, and this is not just in Alberta. Uh, we've seen it, uh, I think most notably, as a matter of fact, in the Bible Belt in the southern United States. Uh, but, but we've seen other examples. We see a, a, a Dallas pastor lost his mom and dad to covid uh, just a couple of days ago. It's a tragic loss. Obviously, this pastor, though, was, had gone on record cynical about masks, cynical about the science behind COVID, cynical about prohibitions to gather. Um, and I asked, what, what is it? Uh, and not everybody appreciated the question, um, but, but, uh, but it's, it's a real question. Like, what is it about people of faith, I thought, and in particular evangelical Christians, that are refusing to obey the law of the land when it comes to COVID protocols. Now, your congregation, you've said you've not been gathering uh, in service and you have been pushing out your messages online. That's not the case for everybody. What do you know within these faith communities or what observations might you have uh, in the spirit or in the context of the question that I asked publicly on Twitter last week? Well, I think I think the majority of faith communities have been actually ahead of the government here in Alberta in terms of restricting worship. So, like, we got very clear directives from the bishop here in Calgary that we were not to worship in person, and he created a task force, uh, which included, like, the person in charge of infection control at the Children's Hospital here in Calgary, who also happens to be an Anglican. So, you know, he was very clear that this is not his area of expertise, that he needed to bring in other people to advise us um, on what was safest. And that group of people put together a set of recommendations, which included recommending that we not gather for in-person worship. Um, We were allowed to come back with very limited um, capacity in September. Some churches chose to here in the diocese, some many chose, including mine, not to. Um, and then before the government, you know, is, issued a new restrictions again in December, we got word from the diocese saying like, no way, no how, uh, we need to shut it down again. So, uh, and we're not alone in that. Um, you know, most churches have been extremely cautious about this um, and have found other ways. There's been a few kind of outliers, of course, who make the news. Uh, and who I know, and I can't speak for them about why um, why they are doing that. But well, I would me, say most Christians, you know, have seen the importance of staying home. Yeah, let me ask you this because it almost seems to me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please respond to what I'm what I'm pitching here. But it almost seems to me like, in the spirit of your understanding of what faith and community and responsibility and 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 loving your brothers and sisters and caring for your fellow human beings, what that looks like. It almost sounds to me like that was driving your policy. It almost sounds to me 
Uh, and I'm not trying to necessarily pump your tires, but yeah, no, absolutely. I would say like the first great commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. And yeah. right now loving your neighbor means staying home and keeping your neighbor safe. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. It's a, it's a theological argument we have um, so, and, and that some people don't see it that way saddens me. And I, I don't quite understand why, um, but for us, no, it's about loving your neighbor. And right now loving your neighbor means staying home. What a, what a fascinating dichotomy. Right. I mean, for, for you to say loving your neighbor means staying home. And I think, you know, quite frankly, my opinion is that most reasonable person, people listening in right now would say, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And then and then there's the, the flip side, which is that, you know, I mean, I had I had one gal attempting to light me up on Twitter last week, essentially saying that, you know, the law of God, you know, or, or you know, we respect God more than we respect any government. And I'm sort of sitting there trying to wrap my mind. And, and again, Reverend, I'm not push, painting you into this corner where you have to answer for all these types of expressions. You've been very clear how you feel about this. But I've just been you can probably tell I've been trying to reconcile that myself and trying to make sense of it myself. And it's it's just not something that has made sense uh, to me. The more the the biblical my understanding of, of biblical teachings uh, or just what it means to be good to one another, the golden rule, so to speak would be to respect and take every measure possible to avoid spreading this pandemic. Um, I just think it's an interesting comparison. It's an interesting dichotomy. I mean, I think I would say like, you're sort of assuming that it's people of faith. You have the kind of hardest time with these rules. I'm not sure that it's people of faith. I think there's probably other demographic, to be frank, kind of factors that they probably have in common. Uh, they're probably white. I mean, it's mostly white people. Um, it's mostly kind of older people uh, who aren't used to having to following rules or aren't used to having people tell them what to do, um, who think rules are for other people. And I, th I think it's kind of that that they have in common more than it's faith, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair comment. I think I think that if you I think that's a totally fair comment. I think it's it's probably uh, people that 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 have a certain way of thinking people that have a certain sort of approach to life that also happen to be members of faith community and are and, and are probably predominantly represented in some faith communities i think that's a fair comment um let me ask you about this you you uh i don't want to say rock the boat because that's a that's that's not an appropriate way to describe this but you got everybody's attention yesterday when you responded to this christmas message uh this was was pushed out by uh, alberta's united conservative government uh, simply said on December 25th, Merry Christmas uh, with a tree. I have I have so many thoughts on this, uh, Reverend. Uh, they quote Isaiah from the Old Testament. Uh, For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. A passage from Isaiah. Merry Christmas. And well, you didn't like this very much. You pushed back on it on Twitter. What, the first time you saw this, uh, what was your initial reaction? Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't see this. Uh, a friend of mine who's not a churchgoer, uh, you, you know, was in touch with me, and he's like, this smells off to me, like, but I'm not the expert. Like, what do you think? And I was like, this smells off to me. Um, and so then, you know, and it took me a while to figure out, like, to think about how do I explain this? Um, but first of all, I don't think... The UCB government should be quoting scripture. I think they should be sending out um, Christmas greetings that are more um, generic, I guess would be the word that comes to mind. Um, and the fact that they, they're quoting scripture and quoting this particular piece of scripture is, is problematic. And um, so I called a colleague of mine, you know, another priest, and I said, like, you know, what do you think? And she says, well, it, it feels to me a bit like a dog whistle. Um, 
So I was like, okay, like I'm not, I'm not crazy. Like there is something wrong with this. And, and it's, it's who's quoting it in what context. Uh, so there's all sorts of things about this passage that are problematic. One of them is that it's fascinating to me which translation of this passage they chose. So uh, this is from the book of Isaiah. It was originally written in Hebrew uh, in about 800 years before Christ. It's a very, very old piece of scripture. Um, and they chose a translation of it, which has the Hebrew word translated as government. Um, most people translate it as authority. So when, when the government chooses the passage that has the word government in it, um, you know, and it almost seems to be suggesting the way they quoted it is like, Jesus has us in his on his shoulder, or we have Jesus on our shoulder, or, you know, Jesus is in our pocket. Um, and it seems to be a, appealing to a very narrow base. Uh, so that was con concerning to me. And then it was also concerning to me, and this is why I spoke up. Um, I do a lot of work uh, in the interfaith world. Uh, rabbi uh, Mark Glickman and I, uh, and um, another rabbi and another Lutheran pastor uh, host an interfaith Bible study together most Thursday afternoons. And we've been doing this for years. Uh, we get a huge following of Christians and Jews who join us and we wrestle with scripture together. And so over the years, I've come to understand more and more about how it sounds when Christians quote pieces of the Hebrew scriptures and say, well, it's all about Jesus. Um, and we call that supersessionism. It's quite a long word. Uh, so I was a bit surprised when it a tweet with the word supersessionism went viral. Um, but it's a form of anti-Semitism when we kind of take a piece of scripture that has its own history and its own integrity and say, well, it's really all about Jesus. Um, and so Mark Glickman and I spoke about that and that's kind of why I felt the need to speak up. And that's why this was an inappropriate piece of scripture for the UCP, which is supposed to represent all people of Alberta, uh, people of all faith and no faith, to choose a passage of scripture which has a history of causing tension between Christians and Jews and which really needs to be dug into, it's absolutely the wrong piece of scripture to put on your, on your Christmas message. Um, I know that everyone thinks this piece of scripture isn't from the Bible, that it's actually from Handel's Messiah. Um, but like last time I went to a presentation of Handel's Messiah, you know, the conductor got up and spoke about how there's some problematic uses of some of the Old Testament pieces in that great piece of music. So there's a fairly robust discussion in culture right now about this. And the UCP should be aware of that and should, should shy away. Um, oh, I, I think they probably are uh, reverend. Yeah. Yeah. I, this uh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to run my mouth a little bit after I speak with you. So, so you don't have to be subjected to, to, uh, but this, <laughs> this to me, uh, this has, uh, if we can see it again, Sam, it has uh, Brock Harrison, as a matter of fact, written all over it. Um, who's, who's now, I think, what is he now? He's, he's, well, he's, he's risen up quickly, uh, in the party. Um, I think he's now executive director of communications for the caucus or something like that, but, but this is his style. Um, and I don't think Brock could, Brock could push back on that because that's not an insult, is it? To say it's someone's style to post scripture. Um, but he goes to war in the trenches, knives out six days a week. And then every Sunday he posts scripture on his executive Twitter director of communications. And, uh, so he posts scripture. And so here you've got Merry Christmas just with a tree. Not even there's not even punctuation. There's not even exclamation. It's just Merry Christmas and a tree, and then the troll, and and the troll is the verse. And some might say, Brian, how dare you? How how dare you suggest that 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 it's trolling to post scripture? But that's exactly what it is. It's it's a troll, and and it and it's it's uh, to me. Um, to be a person of faith and to use scripture to troll people, uh, to me is is just about as 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 greasy as it gets. 
And I, I just, you know, to me, this is the type of thing, it's a situation where I think that Brock and the party and the premier's office and everybody else knows that people are going to hesitate to speak out against something like this because of how they could easily be portrayed, which is attacking people of faith, trying to cause problems and kick a hornet's nest on Christmas Day, attack the scriptures, attack Christianity, when in fact it's none of these things. It's none of these things at all. I don't know. Anna, I really appreciate Can you still hear me? Are you still with us? No, no, I can still hear you. Okay, what, what, what does the next uh, year look like for you as you begin to, I suppose, ease back like everybody else, we hope, in the next few months toward some sort of normal? What does a post-COVID congregation, what does a post-COVID celebration of faith look like for you? How do you believe that church is going to change in the year to come? I mean, it's been an, it's been such a tragedy, you know, all of COVID, uh, but it's also an opportunity for us to rethink, you know, how to do church, but probably more importantly, how to redo so many, so many things in society. Um, so as Anglicans, we have what we call a baptismal covenant. We have promises about how we're going to live uh, as baptized people in the world. And the first one is, will you continue in the apostles teaching and fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers, which is a fancy church way of saying like, will you go to church? Will you read the Bible? Will you pray? Um, but then after that, there's about six more promises we make. Uh, will you strive for justice and peace and respect the dignity of every human being, uh, you know, is, is one of them. And I think COVID has reminded us that um, going to church is just kind of the very beginning of our faith. It's living out our faith in the world and that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the world. Um, and major reforms need to be made coming out of COVID. So, you know, one of the things that's been highlighted by COVID is, of course, the complete uh, inadequacy of our long-term care system. Uh, in Calgary right now, like I, last night when I last looked, there was 19 people who had died uh, at Sky Point Long-Term Care Center in the Northeast here in Calgary. I mean, 44 people have died recently at a care home in Scarborough. I mean, our long-term care system isn't working. And as Canadians, we need to take account for that. And we need to work on structural reforms to that. Um, and it means getting into the nitty gritty of it, um, I think, going forward. So like, if you go in, I go in and out of long-term care homes all the time in non-COVID times. Uh, the staff there are worked off their feet. Um, the, the ratios of staff to care I mean, staff to patients in those facilities is, is abhorrent. Um, in Alberta, we, we've, we budget for 3.3 care hours per resident per day. Um, and those people who are providing that care have to spend an inordinate amount of that time charting. Um, so sometimes families of care members will say, oh, the nurses are always on the computers or the care assistants are always on the computers. They're not on Facebook. <laughs> They're, they're doing all the charting that they have to do, um, and that slows them down, and they don't have enough hours, and they're, and they're run off their feet. All the research suggests that kind of best practice is at least 4.6 hours, um, and with everyone being so sick and so many of the staff in those facilities having COVID themselves right now, um, often that number of 3.3 hours a day isn't being met. It's like way lower. It's half because they're so short-staffed. Um, and so, you know, as a society, we really need to start to wrestle with some of those things and look at sort of major um, coming out of COVID because this this cannot happen again. You, you strike me as having a, a, 
a, a very obvious and clear conviction on what uh, the church's role or what believers' role needs to be in the application of social justice. Um, let me ask you this in closing. How, how do you believe we've done as a society? Let me ask you the province of Alberta. How have we done uh, as, uh, with our government, with our people, our communities? How have we done on the social justice front in 2020? We failed miserably, right? I mean, so many of our most vulnerable have died. Um, last I heard, like, we, and we've had, yeah, so we've had, what, close to 900 deaths from COVID in Alberta. Um, a tragic number of those have been in long-term care facilities where we're supposed to be caring for people, uh, and, and we failed. Um, and then don't even get me started on the opioid epidemic, um, which we don't talk about, which we're cutting back on prevention, Um which is disproportionately, you know, people who die from opioid overdoses are disproportionately men who work in construction and trades, who get injured at work, who get addicted to opioids because they try and, you know, be well enough so they can keep working, so they can pay the bills, so they can support their families, um, you know, and then we're losing them. Um, there are so many problems in Alberta right now that we're just not facing and that we're just not taking care of. And our social safety net is broken. Um, and this this government seems hesitant to acknowledge that or to work on repairing it, which is concerning to me. So we need to speak up. Uh, the Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee is bishop elect of the Anglican Diocese of British Columbia, uh, speaking with uh, us right now from her current uh, role at, out of uh, St. Lawrence Parish down in Calgary. We, we so appreciate uh, your availability today, uh, but also your perspective. Uh, bishop elect, we've, we've, we've played your videos um, your two-minute sermons, one of them we played in its entirety here on the show before. And uh, on behalf of, of people, uh, believers and non-believers alike, who have found encouragement in your perspective over the past nine months or so, I want to say thank you for this and wish you well on your move tomorrow. Well, thank you. And I wanted to say thank you to Irene. I did uh, listen in on that part of the show. Uh, and she was very brave to speak. And uh, as someone who was just reading over the sexual misconduct policy for the Diocese of British Columbia, which says, first and foremost, you need to go to the police and you need to take these things seriously. Uh, listening to Irene's story was a reminder of why we have those policies and why they're so important yeah. um, and why things do indeed need to change. Well said, Reverend. Thank you so much. That's uh, the Reverend Anna Greenwood Lee. Um, an exciting opportunity for her, certainly as bishop-elect of the Anglican Diocese of British Columbia. That's a huge role to take on, um, and, I, and I'm sure that the congregation at St. Lawrence, the parishioners at St. Lawrence, will feel her loss uh, as she moves on from uh, her time in Calgary. Uh, we are uh, going to take a moment here to recognize the partners that have been with us through our first uh, five weeks or so here on the air. I suppose this is the beginning of week number six here on Real Talk. We won't keep counting. Once we get into like 30, 35, 40 weeks, we'll stop this. We're like we're like the new then lovers. We're in a re- years. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We're, the, we're like the new lovers in the relationship that are like, we're celebrating our 12-week anniversary of our first hug. And you're like, okay. Aw. Well, that's kind of where we're at right now with DQ. Uh-huh. I hope you got your hands on one of those uh, frozen Christmas logs that they had uh, up for 50% off to the Real Talk listeners. Well, now now we're into the point where I know that it's that time between Christmas and New Year's and you just, let's just order. Let's just order food. Well, on your favorite delivery app, or if you're going to hit the drive-thru, keep in mind that the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, the six of them, are big big supporters of Real Talk and we hope that you reciprocate that relationship with them. Same deal with Westworld Computers. I was talking to Daryl just a couple of days before Christmas. His family has owned and operated Westworld here in Edmonton 
for more than 40 years. How great is that? I love the independent small businesses that have been around for decades. They're counting in decades, 40 years plus they've been in business. He said, you know, so many people are coming in here and letting us know that they've heard about the shop on Real Talk. I said, that's great. So keep it up. If you're looking to upgrade you, maybe you got a little money in your stocking from Santa. Maybe you got a gift you're going to exchange and pick up something new. Maybe think of Westworld, whether it's a new iPhone, iPad, iMac, whatever the future holds for you, you'll find it at Westworld Computers. And in order that you might breathe easy heading into 2021, I want to encourage you to join the army of real talkers that have already signed up for Clean Air Club at cleanairclub.ca. You know, furnace filters are one of those things we, the majority of us anyway, don't really think about. Um, you know, we, we, we sit there and we, we go, yeah, I got to get my oil changed in my car and and, uh, and what are some of the other things that kind of build up on us? Like the dryer, you know, the lint filter. When's the last time you, you know, when's the last time you cleaned that up? Now, if you're, you're listening and you're one of those people that, you, you know, you have it all on a list of to-do lists. Well, good for you. Okay. We're not all that organized, which is where Clean Air Club comes in at cleanairclub.ca. You sign up. They drop off the furnace filters really at your front door. How much easier could it get? And plus a little gift. They support local businesses along the way. So check out cleanairclub.ca. All right. This uh, this really sucks um, because, uh, well, there's a friend uh, that I wanted to introduce you to. And um, and I was talking to him about coming on the show and um, he and I, Justin Cooper and I worked for a while together uh, at at, uh, a radio cluster here in Edmonton. Um, I was lucky enough. Uh, to work with Justin, Justin was a, a graduate of the the radio arts, the 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 RATV program at Nate, and um, and at, at Chorus Edmonton, where I used to be. Uh, we were so lucky and so blessed to have Justin uh, working with us for a time. Um, and, uh, he was, he was the type of person, and this is not a platitude. And this is, this is not the type of thing that you say when you're remembering someone fondly. And, you know, we've all seen these circumstances where people, you know, they, they come up with the standard, like, you know, wonderful guy cared about everybody always, uh, you know, f- personality filled a room. Um, Justin was the type of person that, that when he rolled into a room, uh, you, you would, you would, he would have the most sincere and wonderful greeting. I can remember some specific scenarios where I stopped what I was doing, turned around and we would have a meaningful conversation. And sometimes they were quick, you know, how workplace conversations go. They're quick, but how are you doing? Always meant, how are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't one of these things where you pass in the hallways. It's like, how's it going? How's it going? Like where, how's it going is the answer to how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Not with Justin. And so when Justin reached out to me, um, we first started emailing uh, at the, as a matter of fact, he reached out the first day that Real Talk went live. And uh, we, we received a ton of correspondence that day, as you might imagine. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, some of it we're still getting around to reading because it was just nuts. Uh, November uh, 23rd was a, was a, a wild day, but the name uh, Justin Cooper just jumped out of my inbox. And I was thrilled to see him in touch with the show because I hadn't seen him for a while. I hadn't seen him for uh, several months. And um, he said, anyway, he said, Jess, well, I'm, I'm excited to see what you're doing. He said, I love Real Talk, what you're doing here. Um, he said, you know, when I was doing my creative practicum at Chorus, he said, you know, I thought we might have a chance to chat down the line. Well, I have an idea for a show. And uh, Justin was a talented broadcaster and a storyteller. Um 
you'll know what I'm saying was, um, he said, I have an idea for a show if you want. He says, I live in a care facility. And if you'd ever want a point of view during COVID for somebody living in a care facility, I'd be willing to help. And so that's when he and I started corresponding again um, over email this time, as opposed to in person when we used to chat. And uh, I am so sorry to tell you that Justin passed away early on Christmas morning. And um, he had been uh, living with some health challenges, uh, a- an extremely brave guy, uh, never one. And, and, you know, these are the stories we hear where, where someone will say he never felt sorry for himself. He never complained. I don't know. I'm sure that Justin had bad days. I never witnessed evidence of it. I never saw it. And you're going to see um, if you're on social media in Edmonton, you're going to see a lot of broadcasters talking about Justin because he made a lot. He, he made an impact on a lot of people. Um, that was him right there. What's up? Like, that's the smile. That was the look. Just a beautiful guy. So we were lining up for him to be on the show and he was going to join us on the broadcast. And I will always regret that he did not join us on Real Talk. And so what I've done is I've taken some of our emails because we're emailing back and forth about what we were going to talk about and what he wanted to say and how we were going to focus our uh, interview and what we thought would be the most impactful uh, story. And um, and so he, because he was so diligent and um, and so such a great storyteller, um, I have a, a, a description in front of me of what he wanted to say. So I thought maybe today... Uh, as we wrap up our broadcast, um, I thought maybe that I could read what he sent to me. And I really wish that he was here saying this. And I wish that he was here telling the stories firsthand of what it's been like living in a care facility during COVID as a young man. Um, but I hope that this will uh, do it some justice uh, and that in a way this will count as Justin joining us here on the program on Real Talk today, he says, you know, Ryan, my COVID experience through the first eight months um, has been okay. He said the the worst part for me was when I went from March to August without seeing my dad. He says we video chatted a lot of the time, but of course it's not the same. Uh, That's Justin with our good friend Bean. Um, He says, I've been tested uh, for 13 times. Now, this was back at the end of November. He says, I've been tested for 13 times for COVID due to my care facility testing us every time that staff tests positive. He says, so far, uh, four tests at my current home and nine tests at my old one. Now, if you've been tested for COVID-19, you know it can be an unpleasant experience. He had 13 uh, COVID tests. He said it sucks because every time one or two staff members test positive, we go on lockdown again, which means no visitors again unless they're essential in providing care or unless someone is passing away. He says, because of this, even when we're open for visitors and it all has to be prearranged, every care facility has a different way of doing it. Um, It requires a few days notice, at least as a recommendation. It makes it tough. He says, another hard part for me, said Justin, was that I'm a very social person. And pre-COVID, I was was hardly ever around the care facility. I was always out. And by the way, Justin's friends always would celebrate how he'd use public transit. Like he was was just was not uh, not intimidated. He was not there. There weren't things that I think that he would say no to or that he felt like he couldn't do. He was always using public transit. But he said, Ryan, he says, I've always been out and about, as you know, uh, out at the mall, out at a movie or, or sometimes even at school. 
And I'd only be back at home in the evening. Most I don't like being out late at night by myself. He said, so it's been kind of hard because I haven't been able to leave my facility um, aside from doctor's appointments. Uh, it's frustrating. He says, it's frustrating for me hearing that people are having large social gatherings and people are packing malls. He said, you know, other than that, I guess, you know, the things that I really want to bring up to the public, said Justin, is that I've noticed with cases rising, um, more staff lately in, in our care homes have been testing positive, even though they're taking every precaution by going straight from work to home or, or maybe to the store to buy groceries. They are still sadly catching COVID. It sucks because the staff here are like family to me and they love me like family. Uh, even though one staff member on my unit has tested positive, I feel for everybody here as every case adds stress. He says, so we've been taking precautions as we can, you know, the staff wearing masks, obviously, when you have an outbreak or, or a suspected case of COVID, the staff wears goggles. Um, when new residents come in, we are all put in two week isolation and we're stuck in our room. He says, when I first moved here, I was stuck in my room for two weeks, which was the hardest part. And he says, if I wanted to say one thing that would be most important to me, um, one of the things that's really frustrating me, said Justin, is people on social media suggesting that only the old and disabled die from COVID. He says it's saddening, and it almost feels like they are saying that my life and the lives of people that I know, in other words, my friends, don't matter because we are disabled. That's what frustrates me the most. Thank you, and I look forward to my interview on Real Talk. Signed off, Justin Cooper, who passed away on Christmas morning. So, much love to Justin, to his family, to his former colleagues and my former colleagues, who I know are mourning the loss of just a wonderful, wonderful young man this holiday season. I saw that his dad posted on social media, and it elicited a laugh from me. He said, you know, Count on Justin to pass away on Christmas Day to make sure that nobody ever forgets him. And we certainly never will. Justin Cooper, an absolutely beautiful human being, richer for having known him. And I'm sorry to you real talkers that you didn't hear him in person on the show. But I hope that Justin's message will resonate with all of us. People on social media suggesting only the old and disabled die from COVID. It saddens me, he says. Makes me feel like they're saying my life and the lives of people I know don't matter because we're disabled. That was Justin Cooper. We're going to be back at it tomorrow. I'm very much looking forward to tomorrow's uh, broadcast. I, I want to thank a couple more sponsors before we sign off. It's been kind of a weird Monday morning here, uh, but I want to let you know that tomorrow we have an opportunity to check in with two real power players. Out of the gates, the mayor of Banff, her worship Karen Sorensen, is going to join us to talk about what COVID's been like in a holiday and tourism-driven community in the Canadian Rockies. And then Dragon, Arlene Dickinson, is going to join us. Arlene's going to check in with the show 
just after the nine o'clock headlines. And so make sure you tune in for that tomorrow. Mayor Karen Sorensen out of Banff and Arlene Dickinson. Interviews like this made possible and of course powered. Our hashtag is by the team at Park Power. Real Talk RJ is the hashtag we'll be watching later today. You know, to be honest, uh, Sam and I, Sam's been working fiercely behind the scenes on the show this morning. The show has thrown us a few curveballs, which is totally cool, but it means we haven't monitored our hashtag as much as we would. I'm curious to look back and see what you have to say about a couple of the difficult conversations that we had this morning. Challenging, uncomfortable conversations that mean a lot. Well, Park Power is the one, the sponsor that keeps that hashtag rolling through. They're in the natural gas, electricity, and internet game. And besides being locally owned and locally operating, they're very proud to give back to local communities. So they profit share. Now you go, what other reason would I need to sign up for Park Power? Well, here's one. They've set up a promo code where right now, get this, if you sign up, whether it's home or business, residential or commercial, at Park Power and enter the promo code 2021-REALTALK, 2021-REALTALK, they're going to give you 70% off your first bill. How fantastic is that? We also want to encourage you, if you're like Reverend Greenwood Lee and, and you're moving, you're on the move, whether it's to another province, you know, whether you're one of our hundreds of doctors moving to another province or what? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But if you have a move-in store and you want to make it nice and easy, give the team at Alta Moving and Storage a call. They've got these pod-style containers that everybody's big on these days. Here's, you know, the, you, you tell them what size, you tell them exactly what you need, the application, they're going to drop it off. They can bring movers if you need, or you can do the work yourself. And then that pod-style container goes to the new destination to be unpacked at your leisure. They also have short and long-term storage solutions. So make sure you check out the Real Talk Builders at Alta Moving and Storage. And finally today, if you've got some money burning a hole in your pocket and your truck didn't start or that car is sliding around those icy corners and you say, enough, it's time to invest in our family's safety, why not check out Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, the home of Alberta's best Jeep selection. Whether it's the Wrangler, love those Wrangler Rubicons, or the Grand Cherokee, or hey, that Grand Wagoneer, the beautiful new rig that's coming out in just a few months in 2021. Make sure you talk to Scott and his team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. From the sales side, the service side, they're Alberta's best, and they're real talk builders as well. You can find all of our sponsors under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. So again, Mayor Karen Sorensen from Banff tomorrow, Arlene Dickinson as well, and of course, for the rest of the day today, we wish you all the best. A relaxing Monday on this December 28th. Real talk back at it, 8.30 a.m. tomorrow. We'll talk then.